I can't remember. I don't think it said Beyonce. Maybe it said Parkwood or something like that. But it gave the game away. And I just remember being in my office and completely freaking out, you know, just being so... But you can't tell anybody. I'm Serena Francis and welcome to Messy Round the Edges. In this podcast, we will discuss when life doesn't quite go to plan, the tough decisions you have to make when faced with various challenges that ultimately lead us to a more fulfilling life. have Coralie Rose on the show. Coralie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Messy Around the Edges. Before we start properly, we would love to know how did you even, what was the series of events that led you to becoming a casting director? Oh, um, hello. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be talking to you. Um, I was an actress for many years. Um, I did lots of commercial work. I did quite a few BBC dramas and I was in a couple of British films. Um, and uh, as an actress, you have times of work and then you have times mm. of rest in between. And when I was resting, I initially got a job in a casting studio um, after being a waitress for a many number of years, but then I started working in a casting studio and then I got approached by a casting director to assist them. And in the beginning I was like, oh, no way, who wants to be a casting director? They're just actors who didn't make it, you know? <laughs> like, um, and they're just old women who want to meet young male actors. Like who wants to do that? And now I'm like, hello, come in. I love <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so I started assisting um, between jobs and that went on for a long time. I was an assistant for, gosh, a long time. Yeah. Of years while I was still acting. And then when I stopped acting, it just happened really naturally. Someone said to me, oh, can you, can you do the casting on this? And I said, no, no, I'm just an assistant. And they said, no, no, you can do this now. Right. A chance on me. And it was incredible. I did um, two short films. Um, with two quite well-known directors and that just launched my casting career which was fantastic. So I didn't mention at the beginning your amazing business is called Road Casting uh, which you founded in 2007, uh, 2013 to be correct specializing in street casting with a particular focus on promoting underrepresented people in advertising and film. How, what what gave you the, the decision to become quite niche? Like, why did you want to be the spokesperson to represent underrepresented people within advertising and film? Did you see that there was a gap in the market or did you find that, you know, you had difficulties within getting roles? What was kind of the, the journey to that? It, exactly like you say, actually. Um... I grew up in a mixed race household. My mum is black and my father is white. And when I was growing up, there was no families like mine on TV, not in commercials, not in the press, not in TV shows. You know, we had a couple of black shows. We had Desmond's, you know, we did have, you know, things like that on TV. And if you saw a family on TV, let's say in Stenders or something, it would be a completely black family or a completely Asian family. You didn't really get any mixed families. Yeah. Um, and there weren't that many people on TV or, you know, around me that I identified with. Um, mm. so I think that was something that really pushed me to just 
have it realistically represented. You know, these are the people that I know, the people around me, my friends and family. Why aren't I seeing that on TV? Why am I not seeing that in commercials? You know, so that's been a real motivation for me. Um, and also as an actress, yes, as I say, I'm mixed race um, and I'm, I'm really, really proud of, of, of my mixed ethnicity. Um, but I possibly to some people don't appear black. And so as an actress, I was getting cast as the Brazilian or the South American or even worse, just the nondescript foreign girl. So with some weird mm. accent or, you know, it was never specific. I was the babysitter or the nanny or the girlfriend. But I was like, hey, hold on, this is this is weird. You know, there's lots of Brazilian actresses that could do that. And, you know, why am I not getting the roles for the mixed race girls? Or, you know, also, why am I not getting the leads? Why am I always playing the girlfriend or the receptionist or something like that, you know? Um, and I felt quite stuck in that. And as an actress, I at the time, I didn't have the power. Like, and I wasn't in the room, I wasn't sat at the table to be able to have the conversations. As a casting director, I do, I get to have these conversations on a daily basis. I get to push back, I get to um, push the boundaries and um, make a difference, you know, and suggest things that maybe haven't been suggested before. Um, and that's why I've specialized in, in this. This is amazing. Thank you, Coralie. I think as, um, having, my son is mixed race too. And I must say, in the beginning, I was very naive to think that these are conversations that I'm also going to have to have with him because I, I, when Connor was born, people would mistake me as a nanny mm. because he is whiter. Mm. Um, you know, he's white, but he's got he's kind of um, he's got uh, he's not kind of dark mixed race. He's lighter skinned and he's got green eyes, but he's got thick, thick, thick Afro hair. So wherever we went in the world, he wasn't a mixed race child. He could have been, like you said, Brazilian or Spanish or, or something else. And I remember having a conversation with him. He's nine now. And I remember having a conversation with him in the car uh, two years ago and um, I was saying to him, you know, Connor, you're, you're mixed race, which means, you know, you've got, the Jamaican heritage for me and you've got your dad's heritage, you know, the Irish heritage, English heritage. Um, so you're 50, 50. And he said to me, no, mummy, I'm not 50, 50. I'm a hundred percent black and I'm a hundred percent white. And he caught me and I nearly cried. Like literally I was like, how, how dare I say that my son is half of anything like, mm -hmm. but it's the programming, right? It's the programming to kind of, that that's how you would just very openly say, you know, mixed race people are half of this and half of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're whole. You're, yeah. You know, mixed race people are whole. And I just thought it took, you know, at the time, it took what my seven or eight year old for me to go, how, how dare I ever say anything like that again? He is a whole person and he is exactly 100% me and 100% of his dad. So I think there's, I think as mixed race people, I definitely believe and feel that um, you get overlooked, like you said, in this in the sense of oh, they can just fit into that category, this category, yeah. and this category. Um, and I'm learning myself how I want to raise my son to be so um, proud of both sides of, of his heritage. So 
um the other question I wanted to ask you is I can really relate to that yeah. um, my mum also you know everyone always always thought she was the babysitter or the nanny too you know so I've, I've had that experience that, that Connor has and you know you, I used to say to people oh I'm, I'm half or whatever and they used to go which half the good half why oh my god you know, you know? and I agree and you know also my parents aren't necessarily one nationality or one ethnicity they're also mixed you know my father's adopted we don't even know where he's from so starting to give myself quarters and and eighths and things like that and you're right it's not we are whole as as we are you know and and so I think that's you're right it's the reprogram and it's an unlearning of stuff that's been so important and conversations that I have with my son as well who is also mixed race and, and he may appear to be more even more white than I am you know or even more white than I appear, because like you say, the people look at him in the street and they might just think, oh, he has a little bit of a tan or something, you know? Exactly. I never forget being in Dubai, actually, and I was in, a, in the Dubai shopping centre and these ladies, I, I remember being in a, in a shop and I was looking, I went, I looked, I reached for something on the shelf. Connor was a baby, he was in his buggy. I reached for something on the shelf and when I looked back, there were these ladies taking pictures of him on on their phones and I was like excuse what yeah what are you doing and they were like but is he yours and I was just like oh my gosh that's terrible um and in the beginning it really offended me but I was a new mum anyway I was very highly sensitive so in the beginning it offended me and then I just learned that that's just the way it is and I you know Connor needs to see me react strong and proud and Mm -hmm. instead of chippy and arrogant and aggressive about it you know because I have to teach him how to react yeah so it's um I mean it's such a a massive massive conversation that we're still having now so right so that's amazing so um you received the entrepreneur of excellence award um in 2017 amazing amazing congratulations wonder woman for honor for and this was an honor for your achievements um, for committing to diversity, equality, and inclusion. How does that make you feel? And the reason why I ask you this question is that's what you set out to do in the beginning. And I'm sure, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure it wasn't a straight journey to that, but to then get an award to, you know, that shows you that you have done so much hard work and you've achieved your goal and what you set out to do in the beginning how did that make you feel as a businesswoman and to yourself internally wow gosh thank you so much because hearing it from your mouth it's the first time I've heard it like that and I just I just want to say thank you for seeing me and for acknowledging it because I hadn't really I hadn't really realized it like that I live quite on the cuff of the moment um and it was just something that I, you know, I did and I, I was, you know, very proud of, but I sort of got on with it and it hasn't, you know, affected the rest of my life in a way that I can tell. Um, I think one of the reasons that I won that award, uh, I became quite well known for casting a quite a big H&M advert. It was called Close the Loop um, and it had a huge cast. And within that cast, there was a girl, um, a girl, she's called Maria Idrissi and she's very, very well known now. But at the time, I met her when I was with my son in Westfield getting his hair cut and she was working in the shop and she was wearing a headscarf and a pair of Air Max. And I was like, oh, you look so cool. Can I take your photo? Because I do street casting. I never know if, you know, a job might come up. So I, I took her photo 
Um, and she was like, yeah, sure, no problem, you know. And anyway, the H&M job came in and they were looking for a, for a girl, a young girl, and I suggested her. Oh, wow. And she got the job. She shot this commercial. And the commercial was amazing. Um, and then what happened was that what I hadn't realised was that it was the first time that a girl in a headscarf had been in an international fashion campaign. Crazy. And apparently even in Dubai, even in, you know, the high end shops or designer shops, apparently the models that they have in the shops on the advertising or on the posters don't have headscarves. They're often European girls. So I was interviewed by so many people. It was all over the news. You know, Australian TV came and interviewed me and stuff. And I remember being a little bit embarrassed because, yes, I was getting all this kind of Pray. To you, it's normal though, right? To you, it's normal. it's normal. I couldn't believe that I was the first person who'd ever done that, you know? And I was like, wait, hold on. Like, you know, I sort of, maybe I hadn't noticed myself that it didn't, it hadn't been on TV before, you know? But to me, it was completely normal. And, and I was getting all this praise for having done something groundbreaking. Whereas I thought, well, guys, we should have been doing this anyway. Like, so it was a little bit, you know, it, it sort of sat Yeah, yeah. But I was obviously very proud that I'd done it and that I'd done it in a very organic, natural way. I was not trying to be recognized for doing something. It wasn't a tokenistic gesture in any way. And I was even more pleased because Maria has gone on to have a massive career. And she, you know, she went from, having, let's say, 82 followers on, on Instagram. So, you know, she's got thousands now and travels the world talking about modest fashion and, and all sorts of wonderful things. And it's, you know, I get girls DMing me and saying, I never thought I'd see a girl like me on TV. Thank you so much, you know. And that that's what makes it worthwhile for me. So, yes, I have an award. Yes, it's in my bathroom because <laughs> I think. <laughs> you're supposed to do with them um but but for me that was what made the huge impact you know that like I say young girls and guys you know but, but people text me or dm me and say thank you for doing that thank you for making a difference so everybody at home listening we have Coralie to thank for turning on our tv whether it be um you know commercials music videos or short films and seeing normal people represented on television from all different walks of lives and background. Coralie, we have you to thank for that. So thank you so, so much. Like, thank you. Wow. wow. Um, Another thing that's really important to me also to stress is that uh, talking about diversity is that often when people talk about diversity, they're just talking about ethnicity, race or skin colour. And for me, diversity encompasses a lot more. Like you say, it's, it's having all sorts of people, normal people, but it's also about age. You know, people are trying to sell beauty products that are aimed at women in their 40s and 50s and they're using 25 year old models who don't have wrinkles. Are you joking? Well, of course, look at all the adverts we see often. It's young girls, isn't it? Whereas the women who are buying these products are our age. Well, see the target market, right? You know, we're the target market. We're the ones yeah. that have the money to buy these face creams, but they've got like a 22-year-old in the advert, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's also diversity within size and, you know, and bodies. And I think um, if, I can, if, if I can rewind a little bit, when I was an actress, I was in the first Dove campaign that was shot by Rankin. And I don't know if you remember, it was quite a long time ago, but it was mm -hmm. the first ever one. And it had six of us girls all in white underwear. And we were all, all different sizes, all different shapes um, and different weights and different size boobs and different colors. And that campaign, um, I forget what it's called. It's, it's the, such a famous Dove campaign is the one that really changed the face of marketing and the, and the face of advertising. Um, and I was really lucky to be part of that. So I was one of the lineup. I was 
one of the girls. And again, that was a huge impact on me, but a huge impact on, on advertising in general. Um, and I think that also inspired me because it was such a groundbreaking thing at the time. But I was like, but but why not? These I girls are normal. normal. Yeah, they're all hot. They're all cool. Like, and and to me, possibly hotter than some of the girls, these other girls that we see, not that they're not hot, but I was seeing a lot of the same types of people Absolutely. in commercial. Carbon copy women. Absolutely. And and you know, nothing against that because I, I think everybody is a good body, yeah. you know, and every size yeah. is a good size. I mean, I I, I think health is a, a huge value to me, but everybody is a good body, able-bodied or 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 less able-bodied, you know. Um, but it really made a mark on me. And I think that's also informed a lot of my career to making sure that diversity does actually include everybody and not just one mixed race girl with green eyes or, or one fat person, you know, you can be black and fat, you know, like it's okay. Exactly. I absolutely love what Rihanna has been doing with her fashion shows. Absolutely. But why does it take Rihanna to do it? You know, mm-hmm. like, why does it take Rihanna to have fashion shows where she's got every single different colour of the spectrum in terms of, you know, race and size and um, less and able wheelchair bodies. users and, and people who are less bodied and, yeah, and people with disabilities and older people, younger people, trans people everything amazing it's mm. and I, when I watch her shows I just feel so full because I feel like this what I'm watching should be normal and it shouldn't be like wow Rihanna like how you felt right it shouldn't be like wow Rihanna's done something really groundbreaking it should be like this just should be normal yeah and and in a way for us you know and I feel like I read a meme or something silly on the internet somewhere on Twitter or something that someone said that all those years it's we'd kind of been skanked with the Victoria's Secret campaign right. because we thought that was the top of the top you know right. and and that is not the only body shape those right. angels are not the only body shape we all wear underwear and we should all be able to be all angels celebrated yeah absolutely um is your industry and what you do as a casting director still male dominated or has it changed from when you first entered the industry to now? Is there a slow progression or are you still finding as a casting director, you normally are, you know, the only woman on the table? Um, interestingly enough, casting for me, isn't that male dominated. There are lots and lots of female casting directors and that's actually why I was inspired to become a casting director because the people that I worked with were women and they were mothers. And um, my mother's always worked, you know, she still works now in her seventies and she, you know, she juggled home life and work life. And these casting directors that I was working for were doing the same thing. And that really inspired me. And I think that's one of the reasons that I enjoy the job so much because they, they, they set a very good model for me. Um, my problem often isn't within in, within the world of casting and not necessarily within the world of production. There's also some fantastic female producers. There's not that many female directors. Not many female directors get a chance or get, you know, it's, it's the percentage is much, much, much lower. Yeah. The problem that I find is when it's often to do with the clients. It's to do with the more corporate world. You know, I can be stuck on a conference call um and then it's a board of men 
often straight white men. And that's where I found more of the problem. But it's- Across many industries. Exactly, yeah. But within casting itself, I mean, there are lots of men as well. Um, There are all genders actually in casting. I I do think it's one of those ones that's, from what I see, has been quite good. I'm sure other people have had different experiences, but, but casting has always been quite open. Great, that's great to hear. So just looking at a list of some of the amazing projects you've worked on, um, short, um, so Adidas, you've worked with Stella McCartney, Charlotte Olympia, um, Barclays, Rimmel, um, and I'd love to talk about um, Brown Skin Girl with Beyonce. What an exciting project for you. Um, please tell us about what it was like to work with Beyonce. Oh, it was wonderful, to be honest. Um, when I was still an assistant years and years and years ago, I did some street casting for a Beyonce song. Uh, it was called Flawless. And I remember being so excited. And of course, it wasn't my job. and I didn't get the credit for it. But I was, you know, I was made. I couldn't believe that I'd done that. And then, you know, 10 years goes by or something, wow. you know, seven, eight years. And I, you know, I get a call about another job. And often these jobs, when they come through, you have to sign confidentiality agreements, NDAs, yeah. you know. And at the top of this one, I can't remember. I don't think it said Beyonce. Maybe it said Parkwood or something like that. But it gave the game away. And I just remember <laughs> being in my office and completely freaking out, you know, just being so, but you can't tell anybody. I was like jumping around, you know, and you can't share the excitement because you've signed a confidentiality agreement now, you know, (laughs) Um, but it was, it was so wonderful. And um, what was wonderful as well was that it wasn't just Beyonce, it was Jen Nakuru, the the British director, who's a fantastic director. And I was so honored to have been chosen to work with the two of them. And I knew that it was gonna be a really beautiful film um and in fact it's much more a short film than a music video for sure I felt incredibly privileged to have been asked to contribute to such a massive machine with so many different people you know it was a global project um and I think they you know they did a really good job finding people who were the best at what they do Um, and it was an honor for me to go into my communities into my local communities to get friends of mine you know there's there's people that I know in that video you know my auntie in that video you know and 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 for me it was it was just so wonderful but I couldn't tell anybody you know I was like no you really want to be in this I promise you you want to be in this but I couldn't tell them what it was for you know and then um one of the days of the shoot it got leaked and it was all over the newspapers that Beyonce was doing a video in London on a council estate or something and everybody freaked out you know because we promised we couldn't tell anybody so that was very worrying and then we didn't hear a peep for months and months and months and I was like what's happened have they you know was it not good or you know what's happened with this job it just sort of disappeared and then one day it came out like Beyonce everything is always a surprise you know right she has like the best team ever yeah Yeah. I've actually at this point I've got to shout out my sister Emily who is part of that team who works for Ivy Park um and so she was nothing to do with that the brown skinned girl we don't work together in that sense because she works she lives in LA um but but, the partnership between Adidas and Parkwood yeah 
Yeah. And I'd, I'd previously cast a commercial for Ivy Park myself, um, World Roadcasting did it. And so I'd already worked with the company, but it wasn't Beyonce. And this was yeah. Beyonce. And I, right. I went all the Destiny's Child concerts when I was young. My dad right. made sure he got my sister and I tickets, you know, so it's, it really is something I'm, I'm quite proud of. And so you should be such an amazing achievement, along with all the other things that you've achieved. Um, I want to ask you, when when did things get messy in your life and how did you pivot and make new choices that affected your life and career for the better? So, I mean, when did something quite significant happen, um, which made you go, okay, new direction? Mm. It's a really good question. I, I really like the, the whole theme of this podcast um, and it's, it's really interesting because at the moment I feel like things are quite messy in my life um, with lockdown and also because I'm a terrible hoarder. I keep everything. I can't let go of anything. And so I just have a lot of mess around me. But um, <laughs> I think um, one of the messy times um, was when my son was under he was about six months old seven eight months old and I broke up with his father mm. um and so I became a single mother I didn't I, you know it wasn't sort of what I planned I guess um and it's at that point that I decided to quit acting um so I'd been casting I'd been assisting on the side when I was you know still acting and I did a couple of jobs after I had my son I did a film and I did an episode of Doctors BBC Doctors um and having broken up with his father, who were, who's a musician and who was in a band at the time, I didn't think it was possible for us both to have the kind of careers that would take us away for 12 to 16 hours a day. Um, and we didn't, you know, you don't really get to plan that much as an actress. You just drop everything to go and do the job. And, you know, you have last minute auditions. And I wanted to be able to offer my son more stability. And I knew I needed to make money. And that it needed to be more regular, that I you know, had to sort of fend for myself. Um, and that's when I, I decided to set up road casting. So that was in 2013. Um, and for me, it was a it was a huge pivot from you know being an actress and being an assistant to actually deciding I was going to be a casting director full time. So I think I started casting, you know, as a casting director before that, maybe in 2011 or 2012. But then I actually founded Road Casting in 2013. Um, but it was a huge shift for me. Um, and what I say now, so I, I made the decision at the time not to get into another relationship because I wanted to really focus on my relationship with my son and making sure that we had a good bond and that also um, I had a good relationship with his father, even though we weren't together. So I didn't, didn't get into a relationship. And that also helped me enormously because my business was my second baby. Exactly. It was like my partner. And when my son was asleep, I'd go back to the laptop and I'd work and work and work and work. And when my son was with his dad, I'd work and work and work and work. But so basically without having a partner, it meant that at night, if I didn't have my son, if I didn't have my son or if my son was in bed, I didn't have to make dinner for someone and give head and look pretty. I could just get on with doing my work. And um, that was a big, it was quite a big sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was a sacrifice. It would, it didn't, it didn't feel like a sacrifice. It just felt like a choice. Yeah. You know, and it felt like, but that decision, sorry to cut you off, Carly, because I feel really emotional listening to this because I just, 
it's so vulnerable. Thank you so much. It's so vulnerable and so honest. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing this story with us. And um, I think probably I'm very connected to you in this way because very similar story to me. Um, I left Connor's dad and we, we broke up. And again, you know, I had to kind of start all over again. But the reason why I say sacrifice, and I don't mean it in a negative way, I mean it in the sense of, you made a decision about your life that actually it was a sacrifice at the time, but in the future, it has reaped the rewards. So it was kind of like a, what did they, what did they say? Short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. Mm. Um, and, you, and you made that decision because of the love of your child. Mm. And be, it almost feels like because you made a decision out of love, you're rewarded now. You know, you're rewarded now with all the achievements um, that you have made for yourself and your son. Yeah. And you too. You have done the same thing. Yeah. For sharing that. It's, um, yeah, that's great. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given about business? <laughs> it's funny. I've been trying to think about this one. Um, I think because my business is quite niche, a lot of people don't really understand it. So a lot of the advice I get is quite shit. <laughs> <laughs> because people just don't really know what I do, you know? Right, right. So they give advice, but I'm like, yeah, cool. I don't know what to do with that, you know, because yeah. it's not a standard business model and it's not necessarily an open one, you know? Okay, what well, if I shift the question? Has anybody tried to change your business model? So, you know, has anybody said, oh, you know, Coralie, why don't you do this instead of that and taking you off your very focused direction of what you want for roadcasting? I'm sure people have tried, but I'm pretty hard headed. <laughs> um, you know, people often suggest that I do film or TV and things like that. And I really like short form. So I'm not interested in competing with those guys that are doing films. Um, I like getting in and out of a job quickly. Um, I, lo I love the medium. I love commercials. I love music videos. I always have. My sister and I used to watch MTV Select for hours with June right. and Richard Blackwood. Yes. And that was my training, you know. Um, I love short films. I love all those Pixar animation, the short ones that they do you know maybe it's my attention span or I just like that they're sort of mini works of art they're mini films and I, and I really like that so when people try and say to me oh you should get into you know do a Netflix series or do a film I just think no I'm all right not for you no not right now you know that might change and the best piece of business advice you've ever received um I've been really lucky um that my mother, my, both my parents were entrepreneurs, but my, my mother who still has her own business um, is kind of like a mentor to me. And she's been able to give me not specific advice about my business, but just about running a business in general mm -hmm. and riding the highs and riding the lows. Mm. It's been really important to me because often between jobs or after a job, you know, I worry that I might not work again, you know? Um, and so she's really helped me with that. Um, and I also feel incredibly lucky that I, um, around that time, uh, Jenny Scott from Mother's Meeting, she set up Mother's Meeting around that time. Yeah. And, you know, we did this hashtag years ago, Mother's Meeting changed my life, but it, but it really did, you know, and I owe her a lot of credit because 
she didn't necessarily give me any specific direct business advice to me, but she cultivated and curated a group of women who had businesses and who had kids around her and she supported us through that. So the conversations that were being had with her and several other women who have gone on to have amazing businesses, that kind of language, the confidence building, um, the tips, just the stuff that you'd hear in passing, and also the alleviation of the guilt. The fact that we weren't bad for wanting to make money. We weren't bad for wanting to have businesses. We were still really, really good mothers. And you know, our kids were still the first and foremost, most important thing to us. But we could also want a career. And I think that helped me. So it wasn't necessarily one piece of advice, but it was a it was showing me that the lifestyle was possible. Right. I I completely agree with you. And I owe a lot to Jenny because I had the best maternity leave ever. You know, I was you know, Connor, we were never at home. I remember putting Connor in the car, in the car seat, driving to East London and doing um, keep fit exercises. Yeah, 1948 at the Nike store. It was so much fun. And we put the babies down and we do our keep fit session and then we'd all have a coffee afterwards. And it was so refreshing to not sit around and talk about nappies. Yes. It was so cool to be able to talk about what everybody was doing and their dreams and hopes for their their careers and their creativity. Oh, amazing. I, yeah. Honestly, I smile when I think of those days. So um, I owe a lot to Jenny as well. That's wonderful. So I don't, I don't want to go into deeply the, the Black Lives Matters um, conversation, because I think we're always having that conversation now. But I think obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an effect on what you do and your business because you were way ahead of the curve. You were doing this some time ago, you know, um, making sure that kind of people of all races were represented within the media. Has your job now changed in the sense of because of what happened last year, are you finding that um, the jobs you are getting now um, that that are getting funneled to you are asking for more diverse represent, you know, different people for, for commercials, for short films? It's been very interesting. I think since winning the diversity award, but even before that, people were coming to me and I was well known for offering more than you could find in a traditional acting or model agency that I was going out and finding people and offering a more authentic or diverse cast. And then after winning the award and then you know during Black Lives Matter or even before that, I noticed that some people were coming and it was maybe a bit tokenistic or they'd say, oh, we need, you know, black cast. And I'd be like, but why? You know, like, what, what is it? Do you really believe that? Or you just, do you have to tick some kind of box exactly. or something, you know? And that would help me determine whether I really wanted to do the job and they were doing it for the right reasons or not. Um, the thing about us at Roadcasting is that we've been having those conversations for years. We've just been having them behind closed doors. But like I said earlier, I've been pushing back for years against people that, you know, often come to me and they say they want a, a mixed diverse cast, but they don't and they end up whitewashing it. And I I didn't think that was cool, you know, so I would push back and I would fight against that. So these conversations have been going on for years for us. Um, and yes, it's, I do see a change. I do see a change in the briefs that are going out, um, but it hasn't affected me too much because like I said, I kind of weeded 
a lot of the people that I thought were maybe not doing it for always the right reasons to begin with, even Mm -hmm. though I think there are no wrong reasons for having, giving opportunities to all ethnicities, all genders, all sizes. Um, and, and, and yes, black lives do matter. And that has been something that's, I, I can't ignore. I've never been able to ignore that it's, you know, in my personal life, but also in my work. So I think it has had an impact, but not, it hasn't necessarily a big, been a big change for me because like you say, I've always been doing that. Right. Yeah. And um, would you say that your job is quite instinct, instinctual? Like, the, like, for example, you know, you mentioned that you were in Westfield and you saw that beautiful girl with the hijab and something said to you, let me take a picture. I think she could, you know, we could definitely be working together in the future. Would you, do, do you get, a, like, how do you cast somebody? Do you just, is it a feeling that you have? Hmm. There's a lot of feeling. I do go a lot on my feeling and on my intuition. I really do listen to my gut. Um, the other thing that I think I've become quite good at is um, listening. So listening to what the director wants and, and translating it from, from his words or from his references um, and sort of understanding what that is and then being able to go and get that and give it to them, gotcha. you know? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I just developed over time. And, and yes, with intuition and, and with feeling, I guess, because it's not something you can, it's not even something you can teach. I don't think you say, know, yeah. come and work for me and they either get it or they don't, but there's not much I can do if they don't get it. Um, so you're obviously super busy all the time with running your, running your business and um, being a mother. What practice, practices do you have to ground you to keep you grounded so you can so you are eight so you have the headspace more than anything to run your business it's a really good question um and it's and the word practice is really important like I, I do have a daily practice um and I came to the realization a couple of years ago that success doesn't equal busyness and that I think that I'd come from a place where I had this belief that the busier you are the more successful <laughs> you are and that being busy and getting things done meant that you were really good or successful and I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to unlearn that because actually I don't want to be busy 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 all the time I want to have time for myself for my family for for other projects for other things um, and that I'm still successful even if I'm not busy all the time and pulling my hair out you know um so 18 months ago, I've been practicing yoga for 15 years, over 15 years now, probably, God, probably longer than that, probably 20 years. Um, and about 18 months ago, I did the yoga teacher training, not because I want Congratulations. to- Congratulations. Thank you. And I give you a lesson whenever you want. <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't do it with the intention of becoming a teacher because I love my job. I did it with the intention of deepening my practice and specifically my spiritual practice. And also- um, I wanted to have a community of like-minded people, a sangha, so um, a group of people who are, you know, into the same sorts of things. So the yoga training really helped me for that. And it means that I now have uh, self-practice. I can practice on my own. And my, as I said, my spiritual practice really, really deepened um, and keeps me grounded, um, keeps me centered. Yeah. I know it's really important to me. Um, it's really important physically as well as as emotionally and, and spiritually um, and I'm, I'm really grateful that I that I have that and I hope that I 
I hope that it somehow um, leaks out of me in professional environments or with friends or something. You know, oh, absolutely. It will, it will do for sure. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, um, that, that you can have little, you know, on my desk, for example, I have a crystal. And, you know, you don't have to say anything, but if anyone comes in and they see the crystal, it's, it's kind of, it's already setting a sort of tone, you know, without me having to say, hey, get into crystals, they're really good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's saying, you know, I might burn an incense or something. And I just think these little, they're reminders for me, but they also act as reminders for everybody around. And I think often we remind people to tell them, but also it reminds us. Uh all around my flat, I have crystals. It just grounds mm -hmm. me. It really, it just in the bedroom, in the front room. And it's really weird because um, when people come into the flat, and I've got my dried sage here and I've got mm. incense there. And when people come, they don't want to leave because they feel really relaxed. And I, I don't know whether it's a placebo, but I think it works. I think I can't, I couldn't live anywhere without having those little bits just to kind of clear the energy, you know, and, and, and keep grounded. Absolutely. If I have a tough conversation or stressful conversation where I've had to, you know, push back or, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it, and it, it does often get like that at work after the conversation, I can light a Palo Santo or light some sage and, and I clear the air, I clear the space. And, and for me that works. And like you say, it might be a placebo, but I, I really believe it. And I just think it, it's, it's, it's a physical change. It's something we can do to break the cycle of what was. What would your dream project look like? I mean, you've basically done everything, Corey. <laughs> I, I, but what would, if you could visualize, if you could close your eyes and visualize, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be involved in. What would that look like for you? Wow. So um, on a professional level in terms of casting, I would love to do a global project where I actually go and cast people all around the world. So in the same vein of what I've been doing in the UK, I also work a lot in Paris um, and I have been for a number of years now. And I used to, before the lockdown stuff, I used to go out there quite a lot and do a lot of street casting and casting different commercials. And I'd love to do that on all continents. I think it would be a wonderful project, uh, whether it's my own or someone else's. Um, wherever I go, I always am very interested in people. I'm very curious about stories. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I've always picked people out of a crowd and I would love to do it, like I say, on a more worldwide level. Um, so professionally, that would be one thing. I started during the first lockdown growing microgreens mm -hmm. um, and the kind of fuck you to big agriculture and mm -hmm. to upset the status quo so as I said I'm really interested in um in health and nutrition and um I grow a lot of these microgreens which are so packed full of nutrients and minerals and phytonutrients and chlorophyll you know like the broccoli microgreens has sort of up to 40 percent more nutrients and minerals than the big full like the big brother broccoli basically yeah. um and you know the tagline when I give it away to people is immunity for the community for me it's been really important to keep people sort of healthy from the inside as much as I can and that's something that I'm very interested in as much as I'm very interested in farming 
And, you know, a dream project for me would be to have a, you know, a, a nice far permaculture farm um, somewhere, maybe a bit warmer. <laughs> I can see um, all those things for you, Coralie, like literally I'm sitting here and as you're saying them, I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, that's going to happen. Like without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> I hope so, girl. <laughs> it, it so is. Um, I, during the first lockdown, I, I got an allotment. <laughs> yeah, where? How did you get one so quickly? I'm on a list. Yeah. I was on the list for, I was on the list for about four months. The, the poor man who runs the allotment, I think I emailed him once a week. Wow. Until he just said, okay, okay, Serena, like a plot has become available. I'm not kidding you. Every week I'd be like, hi, his name's Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. I'm just wondering if a plot has become available wow. every week for about four months. And Connor's helping me and it was completely, I mean, it is still, and I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm working on it like bit by bit because it's so overwhelming. Like it's just one big bush. Yeah. So I'm doing it quarter by quarter. And about a month ago, I got, I got a space clear enough that we planted onions and no, it was just before Christmas. Yeah. Wow, Serena! Onions and garlic. And it's pretty much the same as you. I just want to grow my own veg. And I want to teach Connor that not everything comes from a plastic packet. Absolutely. And to have a bit more kind of respect for and love for food. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited. It's good. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't want to overwhelm myself and say, right, by this month, it's going to be finished. I'm just doing it bit by bit, slow by really slowly. But I love it. I love getting my fingers dirty, getting my fingers in the soil. I love like being like covered in mud. It's so weird that I'm even saying this, but it's such a nice feeling. Like such a nice feeling. Since I've been working with the soil, I feel so good, so much more grounded. It's such a wonderful thing that we've been, you know, totally taken away from you're right all our food is in plastic pre-packaged the supermarkets it's just mass production of food that doesn't even taste like anything you know and and that's not really what I'm about yes it's convenient from time to time to pick up a prep or something like that but if you need help digging planting shoving shit I'm your girl okay Bring laser, that'd be, do you know I what? We'll do that, definitely, 100%. For me, I will come with pleasure and my muddy boots. <laughs> so before we wrap it up, I want to ask you the last book that you read. Wow, okay. Um, I used to run the Mother's Meeting Book Club, so mm-hmm. I really like reading. I've taken a break from it for the time being, mm-hmm. but I always um, play with the idea of bringing it back. I'm reading at the moment, it's next to me, I'm reading If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. Okay. Um, I've just started it actually, but it's really interesting. Um, The last book I read, a collection of Japanese short stories, but I forget the name of the author. I think it's called Stories from My Neighbourhood. Okay. Forget the name of the author. Um, And she wrote a wonderful book before that, which was a love story, which got me into her. Um, and I'm so embarrassed, but I can't remember the name of the no, author. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in the show notes. I'll look for the, the author of that book. Um, and the love story one is beautiful. Um, 
but they're, they're lovely. They're very short. Well, well they're, they're both small books. Yeah. The, the love story one is, is so nice, so easy to read. I've always been into Japanese culture. As you know, my father had Japanese mm -hmm. restaurants. He had some sushi restaurants and he really got me into Japan and Japanese food and culture. Um, and then I, so I found this book in the, in Daunt, which is my favorite bookshop, the one in Holland Park. And then after that, I, I read the short stories, which were like completely surreal and wacky and great. And I love it. Um, and then I'm also reading a book on Ayurvedic uh, food and lifestyle. I'm reading, I flick through quite a lot of reference books as well. Um, I've got one on um, Tibetan healing that I'm reading at the moment. Um, and then I try and have a business book around sometimes as well um but i haven't recently <laughs> it's so hard to cram everything in right now as well like you know it's difficult to keep the concentration but i think to, to even if we're just coasting through one book i think that is such an achievement right now because it's just quieting quieting the mind down so yeah we just focus on something in all this chaos yeah i'm also reading so the one that i have i have one that's specifically for the bath for some reason but it's a <laughs> french african author i think she's called maria maba and it's une lettre si longue and it's about a woman who loses her husband and that's my bath book which is great what, what are you reading i just finished girl woman other oh yes with um I absolutely loved it. I really, oh. really loved it. Um, it. I found it slow in the beginning, but I just sailed through it. And uh, it was me and a couple of friends, me and a couple of friends, we set up like a little book club and we've just been reading this book together. Yeah, so me and a couple of friends that set up a book club during lockdown because yeah. I just wanted somebody to read the book with. Yeah. Uh, so I literally just finished that last week. So I'm on the lookout now. So now you've given me some some good references i'm on the lookout for another book to get my teeth into i've got lots and lots of books so always happy to talk about books maybe maybe you're tempting me to start the book club again i'll join it i'll join i'll Great. join absolutely i'll bring the girls over and we'll join your book club please you mentioned um is it road greens yeah, that's the microgreens that I'm. So, doing. is it another? Is it a separate business? So, if anybody wanted to find out some more information about Road Greens, where would they go to? We do have an Instagram page, but it's just a holding page, really. Um, we sell to the Portobello Mushroom Man, who's um, Tom, who sells mushrooms on Portobello Road. He's got a stall there most days. I think the busiest days are Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So, we stock with him. You can buy them there, and we also do a subscription. So it's um, 10 pounds a week and you get about three ounces of microgreens. So it's a combination of broccoli, rambo radish, um, chard, depending what we've grown that week, really. Um, and we like to, we deliver it at the moment by hand, by bicycle, but we're trying to sort out if we can do it by post or, you know, bigger. At the moment, we're just keeping numbers small. Awesome. Um, it's slowly growing. It's something, as I said, I started during the first lockdown and I, I really love so it's something I'm really passionate about and I want to keep going, but I'm just, we're just keeping it. I, I do it with a, a friend of mine called Emily. She's my partner in Road Greens. Um, but yeah, I just want to keep it small so that we have time to really focus on it. We play music to the water. We play music to the plants. We meditate and bless the water. We play it 532 hertz, 428 hertz, so that it's got all the right vibrations and frequency. Wow. Yeah, it's really grown with love.
Wasn't there a Japanese experiment? Yes, with the water. The what? That's what this is. What you just said has just reminded me about that experiment. Yeah. So that that I'd seen that experiment probably when you saw it as well. I thought it was fascinating, and he looked under the microscope, and the water that he'd been saying love to love to looked like a beautiful snowflake, that's and it. the words and the ones that he'd been insulting or saying hate to or, or calling them bad were like all sort of sharp and edgy sharp and less symmetrical um shapes and i I can't remember what he was called i think he was another japanese guy wasn't it he was he was it was yeah yeah japanese scientist yeah but so um yeah that's 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 part of the theory that we have so when we yeah we thank the water we tell it it's doing a good job and we play um these healing frequencies to it you know that is (laughs) awesome so i'm a hippie at heart i love it i love it me too so before we wrap up if anybody is listening to this and wants to maybe get into tv media film uh, as an extra or you know thinks that they have maybe a different look that you might be interested in how could they get in contact with you or what's the process so as well as extras and anybody wants, we also do straight models um, and actors and real people and people that just want to be on something once. I'm not an agent, so I don't keep a book. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not like an, a model agency or an acting agency or anything like that. So I don't, for data protection, I don't keep hold of people's details. Mm-hmm. But we post all of our jobs on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter so if you follow us, it's at Roadcasting. Brilliant. Um, then you, whenever we have a job, like we're doing a job, a commercial at the moment, and we're looking for quite a large cast, including a um, you know sixty-year-old West Indian woman and an eighteen-year-old guy who can hula hoop. You know, so it's a very, mm-hmm. it's a broad range of um, cast members. I mean, those are just two out of the eight. Um, but we post all those jobs on on social media. Right. And you, if you think that you're suitable and if you're available for the dates, then you can submit a photograph or submit whatever we ask for and send it to us. We always have an email address there. But we also have a website, which is roadcasting.co. Cool. And you can see the work that we do there. And there's an email address if you want to get in touch. Great. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. <laughs> well, let's do it again. Definitely. And we'll, we'll get an allotment. Let's have an allotment date. Yes, please invite me. I don't even care if it's cold. I don't even care if it's raining. I'll still come. Okay, let's do it. We'll put that in the diary. Definitely. Since we recorded this interview, the music video Brown Skin Girl has gone on to win a Grammy, which is just amazing. So massive, huge congratulations to Coralie, who was part of the casting team for this music video, Jen Nakuru, Beyonce, and the entire Parkwood team. Beyonce says the inspiration behind this wonderful piece of visual art was to represent all different shades of brown. If you're looking for something to set the mood at home or just simply to create a lovely relaxing environment, be sure to head over to melitarose.com for a beautiful selection of scented candles and remember to use the code MESSY to receive 20% off. Imagine this, you decide to quit your life as you know it in England and move to a different country where you do not know the language. Join us in two weeks to hear Nikki Taylor's story. 
She moved to Italy and started all over again and now she runs her own property company that she founded called Dolce Vita. I cannot wait for you guys to hear her messy story.